All right, good morning. Hey, if you have a Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians 8. We'll be there eventually. Uh, and uh, uh, it's a pleasure and a privilege to be able to open up God's Word to you this morning as we continue our series, Back to the Start. Uh, if you've been with us uh, for any length of, of, of listening to some of our past sermons or you've been here the past few weeks, you know that we've been asking the question, why? Why? Why, Mom? Why? Why do we do this? <laughs> why, do we, uh, why, do we, why do we obey God's Word? Why do we, we believe in God's Word? You know, why, do we, uh, why do we sing? Why do we gather? Why do we even show up here on Sunday morning? Uh, why do we worship? And uh, today, uh, Uncle Tony, today has why we give, why we give or why we serve, which uh, I could answer that in like a quick, quick question and we can get out to trunk or treat. We give because Christ has given to us. We love because he has loved us. We serve because he has served us. Amen? Amen. All right, we're done. <laughs> All right, well, we're going we're gonna to dive into this. And uh, I'll be honest with you, this is not a message that I have uh, preached on before. Uh, you know, certain pastors tend to avoid certain topics, and for me, it's, you know, just all those non-essentials, why we give, you know, marriage, family, parenting, you know, all those things, you know, faith, just, just try not to preach on those, it's just too difficult, but uh, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, I want to open up with a word uh, f uh, from Proverbs 18. The Lord put this on my heart like two or three weeks ago when we were, uh, when I was planning and, and knowing I was going to preach on this. And he just kind of revealed it to me. And I think it's, it's so fitting because we just sang, a mighty fortress is our God. Proverbs 18, 10, and 11. And it's going to be up on the uh, screen for you. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. Some of you are interested. I know the King James. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Yes. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. Is their fortified city. Their strong tower. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. You know, I've always known the first verse, but I never saw the second verse. And the book of Proverbs is kind of like that. You don't always, you know, sometimes that you seem, it seems kind of random at times. But just take a moment to look at this. It says, the, um, the name of the Lord is a, is, a, is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And what that's saying is, is back in the, in the Mesopotamian culture, you know, a, a tower was so significant. It was, it, was, it was where they could see everything. It was a protection. It was a form of protection for the cities that were walled. And it was a place where you could see who was coming, who was going. And it, what he's saying here is that the name of the Lord, the character of God, is a strong tower. And so this morning, really, the whole, this whole issue is going gonna, is gonna to be based on how we see God. Is God a generous God? Is God a, a strong God? Is God an abundant God? Or is he just kind of like out there, I don't really know if I can know him. I don't really know if I can trust him. I don't, I'm, you know, he's very fickle. You know, he's kind of like the Greek gods. I don't know if, if he's happy with me. I don't know if he likes me because circumstances are bad. But the scriptures say this, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And the flip side is so true, isn't it, in our culture today? What is it that we imagine gives us strength? It's our wealth. And so this is kind of where we're going to go today. Uh, Philip Yancey, uh, one of my favorite authors, he wrote a book on money. And uh, he said that this was a t the tension that he himself deals with the most. It was related to money. Many Christians, he said, have one issue that haunts them and never falls silent. For some, it involves sexual identity. For others, it's a permanent battle against doubt. 
For me, he says, the issue is money. It hangs over me, keeping me off balance, restless, uncomfortable, nervous. I feel pulled in opposite directions over the money issue. This is Philip Yancey speaking. He says, sometimes I want to sell all that I own and join a Christian commune and live out my, my days in intentional poverty. And at other times, I want to rid myself of guilt and enjoy the fruits of our nation's prosperity. Mostly, I wish I did not have to think about money at all, but I must somehow come to terms with the Bible's very strong statements about money. I think you probably have heard this before, but Jesus spoke about money quite a bit. Uh, one, uh, a few different people have noticed that almost a third of all his sermons mentioned or dealt with money. But he never asked for money. He never took an offering. In fact, we know that whenever he needed something, he just called on his father and he, you know, he, 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 he multiplied the, the fish and the loaves and, and, and fed thousands. You know? and, and whenever he had needs, he trusted God. But he spoke about money a lot. And one of, the, one of the things that I want you guys to think about today is why did he do that? And I would say this, he did this for us because he knows he doesn't want to get money out of our pockets. He wants to get idols out of our hearts. I love that phrase. And I'll say it again. It's a quote from a, a pastor I heard this week. Jesus doesn't want to get money out of our pockets. He wants to get idols out of our hearts. That's why he said no man can serve both God and money. What is the number one idol that we all struggle with? It's that desire for comfort, security, and wealth. And that's why Paul said the love of money, not money, but the love of it is the root of all evil. Uh, I like this phrase. Generosity is not something God wants from you. It's something that he wants for you. It's not that he needs our money. It's just that he has chosen to use this, this, this world that we have as a, a way for us to function with money, but ultimately our money belongs to him. He talked about it because he knew that money, what we do with money and how we relate to it is the best indicator of where our hearts are. The C.S. Lewis quote says this, wealth has a way of knitting a man's heart to this world. Wealth has a, well, a way of knitting a man's heart to this world. What you do with your money infallibly reveals three things. What you most love, what you most trust in, and what kingdom you are living for. Ooh. Do you see why Jesus wanted to get, uh, get to the root of an issue? It's because he loves us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you are a God that is abundant, that you are generous, and that you have given us this beautiful world. Yes, it's broken. Yes, it's cursed. It's fallen. But that's not because of you. It's because of us. Father, I thank you that even in the midst of this broken world, you came down and you became poor. You became like us. You became a servant. You became obedient to death for our sake so that we might be rich, that we might know you and live forever. God, I ask in Jesus' name that as we look, dive into this uh, heavy topic today, that you'd be with us, that you'd give us uh, a, a good attention span. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Speak through me, Lord. You know how uh, broken I am, even in this area, God. It's a, it's, a, it's a challenging area for all of us to surrender to you. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you would uh, guide our time, Lord, and make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you guys have heard of the story of the mother who wanted to teach her daughter a lesson about giving. And uh, she said she gave the little, uh, the little girl a quarter and a dollar for church. 
And she says, here's a quarter, here's a dollar. Put whatever you want in the collection plate and keep the others for yourself, she said. Keep the other one for yourself. Well, when they were coming out of church, the mother asked her daughter which amount she had given. Well, said the little girl, I was going to give the dollar. But just before the collection, the man in the pulpit said that we should all be cheerful givers. I knew I'd be a lot more cheerful if I gave the quarter, so I did. <laughs> I like that, I like that. So we're going we're gonna, to uh, jump into 2 Corinthians 8, and uh, we're going to move around today a little bit. Uh, as I said, uh, this, um, this topic, you, you have to see a full picture of Scripture. I really like what... Uh, Luke said this morning about, you know, the Reformation and how it comes down to us. Are we going to believe what Scripture says or are we going to believe, and back then it was what the Pope says or what, what the, the authority of the church says, the Catholic Church or whatever. And that's what Martin Luther said. Scripture teaches, sola Scripture. Scripture alone teaches that we're saved by faith. It also means that we are all priests. The, the, the New Testament says that when we become children of God, we are, we are, in a sense, a kingdom of priests. And what that means is we have access to the throne because of Jesus, because Jesus is our high priest. So as we look at God's word, we want to have a, a well-rounded picture of this. Let me give you my big idea. I don't usually do this at the beginning, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, the big idea today is, uh, is, is basically this. The abundance and generosity of God empowers us to be generous givers who bless others and who build the kingdom. And like I said, starting off with today, you, when we look through the lens, I wish I had my glasses up here or some pair of sunglasses up here because we all have a lens through which we look through. And the question is, how big is our God? Is he abundant? Does he, is he, and is he generous? It's one thing to say God owns everything and God is in control of everything, but if that God is not generous, then I'm not going to trust him. You know, I, I, uh, I think of uh, many stories that have, many times this has happened. Those of you who have teenagers, you know this has happened for you. Uh, even maybe 10-year-olds where you go out to eat or you, you go and they're, they're dying of hunger and you buy them something. Maybe you go to McDonald's or Chick-fil-A and you buy them something to eat and some fries and they get a big, large group of fries and they're eating it and they're you know, just like enjoying it. And what do you, you know, the father reaches over and says, can I have one? <laughs> no, hands off, these are mine. Really? <laughs> really? Who bought them for you? <laughs> uh, who paid for them? I mean, uh, get your own, Dad. <laughs> but, the, you know, if you think about it, that's kind of like us and God in some ways. God, God has given us so much, and so often we say, no, no, I'm going to hold on to it. But if we knew that God gave it to us in the first place and that he's generous and that he's a giving God, would we trust him? Well, in 2 Corinthians 8, uh, there is a, a passage, and uh, I'm famous for always uh, coming up here and, and losing my notes. There we go. Um, it's, uh, this, let me give you the context here. Paul is writing to the Corinthians. And uh, during this time in the first century, the, the, the Christians, the Jewish Christians, particularly in Jerusalem, were experiencing a lot of persecution. And they were dealing with a lot of hardship. And, and so what, when Paul would go to the different churches, he would ask them to take up a collection. And, this is, and, and, so, and in fact, in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, he says, everyone should set aside each week a portion of their income to be able to give to the Lord. 
And what they would do is they would take a portion of that, Lord, of, that, of that income and they would use it for the poor and they'd use it for those who had needs and they'd use it for the spreading of the gospel. And so look at what he says, though, about the Macedonians. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5. He says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know, he's talking to the Corinthians, about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. As those are the churches that were in the area of where modern-day Turkey is. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial. Now, the, the Macedonian churches were going through trials. They were being persecuted. He says, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. So the, the Macedonian churches were just like, hey, we want to give to these poor people. Even though we're struggling, we want to give. Now look at what he says in verse 5. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. And so the first point, I'm going to give you several reasons why we give this morning. Um, and the first one here is just this, and it's back to the start. And I love this, the phrase, because back to the start means it goes back to the heart, doesn't it? It all goes back to the heart. Uh, generosity and a lifestyle of giving and serving flow from a life that is surrendered to God first. So if you're listening to me this morning, whether it be online or in here, and you don't really know this God, and you don't know uh, how much he loves you and, and know how much he's given for you and, and that he is generous in abundance, I'm not going to ask you for your money. As a, as a pastor and say, hey, give money. Now, yes, it's good to give. It's, it's therapeutic. We all know that, okay? It's healthy. So you might get a good feeling. But that's not the, the end motivation. The end motivation is first we give ourselves to God. Let me give you three extremes when it comes to giving that might help you because some of us, you know, we get into all kinds of, you know, difficulties with this, okay? Um, the, 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 the first extreme is, uh, is the health and wealth gospel. Okay, I don't know, how many of you ever heard the phrase a seed offering? A seed offering, <laughs> I see a few hands, yeah. A seed offering is the health and wealth gospel. There are churches, and, and unfortunately these churches are growing like massive, especially in many other countries, um, where people say if you give, God's going to bless you. And, and, and basically if you give, and that's, the, that's the motivation to give. God wants to bless you. In fact, if you're not healthy and wealthy, then there's something wrong with you. You're not giving enough, you don't have enough faith. Okay, so there's this, there's this one extreme, and, and maybe some of you have encountered churches or preachers that have said, you need to be giving, you need to be giving, and they just harped it, harped it, and said, you know, because if you're not giving, it shows that you're not a Christian, or if you're not giving, you know, you need to be blessed by God, and if you give, you know, test God, and they'll use verses like Malachi, test God, you know, uh, you know don't rob God, you know, test him, if you, if you give to him, he will give to you. And there's always a, a, little, a little portion of truth in these extremes. The portion of truth, we'll look at this today, is that if we do give, God will bless us. He is an abundant God. But he doesn't, it, it, that's not the motivation to give. That's not the primary motivation for me to get. It's basically what I can get from God. And if God doesn't give to, give to you, you know, it's, there's something wrong with you. It's all about you. That's what all, all three of these extremes, okay? The other extreme is... Um, is, okay, I'm going to give my percentage, and then that's it, okay? And it becomes like a checklist, a checkbox. Uh, this is, this is kind of like selfish-driven, okay? This is more religion-driven. 
They're all self-driven, really. But this is more religion. So um, there's something called a tithe. We're not gonna get, I'm not going to talk about tithing today specifically, but tithing was an Old Testament concept that God uh, established. It's a principle that said, whatever you have, you give your first and your best to the Lord. Remember Cain and Abel were, came and they gave an offering? And Abel's was accepted, but Cain's wasn't. Why? Because it goes back to the heart. Back to the start, back to the heart, okay? His heart was wrong. And, 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 and there's no indication that he gave his best, uh, but, 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 but Abel did. So when, when, the, uh, when the Old Testament law was developed, there was a system that was put into place where the uh, Israelites were to give 10%, okay? And actually, if you add it up, it actually came up to about 23%. 10% of their income would go to the Lord, of their crops, everything. Their, their first and their best would go to Him. And it would, be, it would go towards the poor, it would go towards the Levites, and it would go towards the feasts that they would have, okay? So it was kind of like those three put together, and it was, it, was, it was what was required of every Israelite was to give a tithe, okay? Uh, and the tithe would, would the, when I say Levites, it was like the, the people who were consecrated to the Lord, kind of what we would see as like the full-time ministers, the, the priests, the people who, who, who served in the temple, and that was their lot because they didn't get a salary, all right? So that was the, the Old Testament way of doing it. Now, the principle of tithing is still, a, is still biblical. The idea of giving your first and your best to the Lord because everything belongs to Him. But in the New Testament, it's never said that we have to give 10%, okay, or give any percentage. In fact, it's, it's God loves a cheerful giver. Give out of your heart. Be generous. That's basically the command that we're going to see today. Be generous. But the extreme over here is, I'm going to give my 10% or my 5% or my 2%, but then I'm going to spend the rest of my 90, 95% however I want, you know? And so this is kind of like a checklist. I've done my part, and then that's it. And that's an, that's an unhealthy extreme that we can go to. The final extreme is, you know, well, there's so many people dying in the world. I mean, I mean, I, I mean geez, I, I got to give it all away. I mean, if I'm just going to be, I'm going to take this, the Bible literally, I just need, to, I need to give all away. There's no way I should even be driving a, a, a car because you know what? Only 8% of the people in the world have a car. The other 92% look at me and say, you're rich. You know, how much money do I have today in my pocket? I have a few dollars. Well, a billion people live on less than a dollar a day. So how can I claim to have anything? So, you, go, you know, the, this thinking never ends. And, I, and I, I tend to lean towards this extreme sometimes with my mentality. But if you, if you, if you take it too far, it, it gets to be, you know, ridiculous. And it misses an important principle that God gave us all things richly to enjoy. And that God is going to take care of the poor. God is going to do it. He's going to do it through us, but he's going to do it. You know, we don't have to give everything away. So, so you guys see the three extremes? I don't know if that's helpful for you. Okay, Some, where do you fit? Where do you see yourself? Are you more in the checklist? You know, I've done my part, but that's about it. You know, don't bother me, you know. But I'm not going to surrender the rest to you, God. Oh, yeah, if I took this literally, I'd have to give everything away. And, oh, man, I'm so troubled by this. I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to, like, live on, you know. Or is it, no, God, you owe me. What's wrong with all three of these is that they're very self-focused. The se it's all about self. It's all about me. It, this one, I can't depend on God to take care of, of the poor. It's, it's all about me. i got to give away everything away. This, it's all about me making myself feel good religiously. I've checked my box, kind of like what Pastor Dell talked about last week. Why do we gather? Do we gather just to check the box, or do we gather to be the body of Christ, to encourage one another, to love one another? So that, that's, I don't know if that's helpful for you, but I thought I'd share that with you, okay? Um, let's keep going. 
Uh, we said back to the start, generosity and a lifestyle of giving and serving flow from a life that's surrendered to God first. Now look at verses 7 and 9. And I know I'm skipping around here a little bit uh, because I have a lot of verses to share with you. Uh, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians. And he's saying, you know what? The, this giving is a grace. It's a discipline. It's not optional. You know, some, some of you have the spiritual gift of giving. Uh, if you've never taken a spiritual gift test, I hope you will. Those of us who went through Next Steps, they were, they, you, you did that. You know, some of us have the gift of hospitality. Some of us have the gift of encouragement. Some of us have the gift of helps. Some people have the gift of giving. That's wonderful. Some people have the gift of evangelism. Uh, some people have the gift of teaching and encouragement, as I mentioned. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't evangelize if you don't have the gift of evangelism. If you don't have the gift of giving, he says everybody should be giving. We're to excel in this. It's an ongoing discipline. Look at verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's a great memory verse. I hope you, if you have a Bible, you would star that. Take a look at that for a moment. This is the motivation. Christ is our example in being generous. He gave up ultimate riches and become, became poor for our sake. This is the gospel. This is the gospel right here. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So this morning I want to ask you something. Do you know the grace? of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Paul said to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in, the, in, in Christ Jesus. What is grace? Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy, we often say, is not getting what you do deserve. <laughs> All of us deserve judgment. All of us deserve God's wrath. But because of God's mercy, he sent his son Jesus, and Jesus gave us the ultimate gift. The, the ability to, for us to be saved, to be transformed from the inside out. And how did he do it? He did it by giving up everything. He became poor. He became a servant. He was obedient to death. So as you look at this, I said this, Christ is our example in being generous. He gave ultimate riches, and he became poor for our sake. All of a Christian's life is, is lived in response to the gospel. Now, I know I keep talking all about money, but the, the, you know, uh, to be honest with you, to be fair, you know, when, when we mapped out this series, we said today was going to be why we give and why we serve. And I could have gone either way. You know, why do we love? Why do we give? Why do we serve? It all comes back to Jesus being our example. That's, that's kind of the idea. Um, Jesus did not merely tithe his blood. He didn't give 10%. He gave 100%. <laughs> that means our responsibility is not just to give our 10% and go on our self-serving way, but to offer 100% of our lives back to him. Amen? To live recklessly for him. Here's a question for you. Where would you be without Jesus? Answer, at exactly the same place people in the world are without you. Now, that's going to sound weird, but let me just explain that. People can't be saved until they hear about the gospel. And it's only through our giving and going, our giving and serving and going, that what? People can hear. That, that's the idea. It's through our sacrifice. It's through us going out and giving and going. That's why Paul said we are, he said this in Colossians, he said, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. 
Fill up in our flesh what is lacking. What does that mean? I thought Jesus was on the cross. He said it is finished. Didn't he pay the price for our sins? Yes, he did. It was completely finished. When, when Jesus died for us, he completely paid for all of our sins once and for all. It's not like we have to you know, keep wondering whether we're forgiven or not or whether he's paid for us or not. His wounds, how could his wounds still be lacking? The salvation process, though, is not complete until everyone hears. Martin Luther said this. He said, it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if nobody heard about it. The way that people appropriate his death and accept him into their life is by hearing through him, through our wounds, through, through our going through persecution, through our sacrifice. So that means when God prospers me financially, it's not just so I can go on my way. He prospers us so we, not to increase our standard of living, but to increase our standard of giving. You know, we were at Edge a couple weeks ago, and I was blown away. A little sixth grade girl in our, in, our, in, our, in our school system right here, in the public school system, telling me a story about how she was sharing Christ with her, with her classmates. And her classmate, you know, they were talking about origins and, and where people came from, and her classmates are like, yeah, it doesn't... Don't, don't you know that we've evolved from apes and that we, you know, all this? And, and this little girl was telling her the story of, the, of, uh, of God creating the world and, and, and Adam and Eve and sin. And she was explaining this. And this girl had never heard that. Never heard that. You know, we, we live, and we always say we live in a post-Christian culture. I mean, it's, it's coming full circle where people, even around us, have never heard of Jesus. So I don't want to pay, I don't want to... Uh, cause problems, but am I hearing an echo up here, or is it just me? Okay, it's just me hearing the echo. Okay, good. I'll just, I'll do my own echo then. Good. But, but this is, this is important. You say, well, how does this relate to giving? The church exists primarily for its non-members. We exist to make Christ known, to glorify Christ. Yeah, we want to worship Christ, and we want to be edified, and we want to equip you, but what do we want to be edified and equipped for? So that we can go out and be lights, and be his salt and his light. And so when you give, when we give, that's kind of what the purpose of. It's, it's to give, uh, to, to, uh, to bring people to Christ. What motivates us to give ourselves to God? What motivates us? How much God gave to us? Let's keep going here. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What I love about the New Testament is that, and, and I have to be careful how I say this, but God trusts us. I know Jesus, when he was on earth, said, I'm not going to entrust myself to any man because he knew what was in their heart. But when he makes us a new person, who comes and lives inside of us? The Holy Spirit, the Bible says he gives us a new heart. And what he's saying here, and this might be foreign for a lot of you, especially if you maybe have grown up in certain religious backgrounds, but the Holy Spirit, if we're walking in the Spirit, look at what he says here. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. In other words, seek the Lord about it. It's not 10%. It, you know, and some days it might be five. Other days it might be 20. It might be 30. But the point is, is, is as the Holy Spirit fills you, you're going to be a generous person that wants to give. And we all go through different seasons. And he says, but God loves a cheerful giver. What does that mean? It means that we should do it as a response to God's love for us, that God is giving to us. You know, what does that mean practically? What if I'm going through a season where I'm out of work 
or I, I'm in debt, should I still give? Well, the, the short answer to that is yes and no. Um, obviously, if you're in debt, you need to get out of debt. That, the Bible says it's unwise to be in debt. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not talking about mortgage debt. I'm talking about credit card debt and other types of debt. All right? If you're unemployed, obviously, you can't give what you don't have. But just as your body, when it gets sick, it, 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 it forces a lot of um, its energy on the sickness, right? But it doesn't stop functioning in other areas. In the same way, if you're in debt or you're in unemployed, you can still be generous. You can still practice some level of generosity. And that's why I like what Paul's standard is here. He says, each of you should give uh, what, what, what you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's a personal decision between us and God. Uh, it's the law of sowing and reaping is in here. God blesses those who sow. How many of you have experienced God blessing you when you have given, when you have been generous? Yeah, I would say, yeah, I've experienced God's blessing even when I haven't been uh, generous, and that's God's grace. But I'll tell you, I have experienced God's blessing as well when I have given. It comes from a place of cheerfulness. Let's keep going. Verses 8 and 9. Look at it if you have it in front of you. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food, for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your, through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. What's he saying here? God is a God of abundance. We can trust him to provide not only our needs, but even more beyond. I'm thinking of that verse now to him who is able to do abundantly and exceedingly beyond all that we ask or think. In the, in the Bible, God gives some people excess. He gives some people riches. And the purpose of it primarily is to bless others. It's to bless others. Uh, during the wilderness journey, God covered the ground every morning with bread from heaven. Remember that? The manna would come down. And, and, and uh, what would they do? You remember what they constantly did? The first time, especially when it first came down? They would hoard it. <laughs> Why? You know, let's all be honest. If we were out there, we probably would have done that, you know. It's kind of funny when we have, like, food here, and we have, like, uh, like, dinners here. It's always funny to see, like, you know, where the food goes and who's, who's going to take a lot home, <laughs> you know. We try to put a lot in the fridge, and we try to be like, okay, whoever wants to take it. But, but we're, you know, just, I don't know about you, but I would be tempted to hoard it too because you're in the desert. There's nothing else coming, right? This is all there is. And, and so, but he said, no. He said, don't hoard it. Just take enough for each day. Why did he do that? He wanted to let them know that he could be trusted, that he's an abundant God. If God can provide for you today, he can provide for you tomorrow. Amen? That's a difficult, that's, that's trust, that's faith. And I realize that some of you this morning, this is an area where you may have never trusted Christ for. You know, we all have different areas that we struggle to trust God with. You know, when I work with students a lot, you know, and the sacred cow is media. You know, am I going to trust my TikTok, my, 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 you know, my phone, my phone life, you know, or my reputation, or what I watch on Netflix. Am I going to surrender that to God, you know, that I only watch things that, are, that honor him on Netflix? Some of you will be like, no, I don't know about that, you know. Uh, for other people, it's their dating life, 
You know, they, they, they refuse to surrender their, their love life to God and to trust God. God says, do not, do, not be un, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And, you know, it's hard to get around saying, you know, it probably shouldn't be dating unbelievers. And I've seen Christians be like, I can't trust God with this. I can't. This person is so good, I'll, I'll, I'll win them to Christ and I'll start dating them, you know. Um, but this is also an issue. And a lot of us have issues that we can't trust God with. And because we've never gone that far with him. A couple weeks ago, I shared with you when I first went rappelling and how I was scared, of, scared to death I was with a youth group. And I was the leader of the youth group. And uh, we were up at like this 80-foot mountain up in uh, Upper Peninsula, Michigan. And, you know, rappelling is you have to lean on the rope, you know. And I, I, and I would not lean back and trust it. But I had to go first and I had to go over this big cliff. And I was so scared. But what I did was I trusted the rope to, get, to go over. But then at, from that point on, I didn't lean back. I just kind of tried to climb. And I use that as an illustration because some of us, you know, Jesus is like a safety net. He's like a rope. And, but, but he's only a safety net for when we die. You know, oh, yeah, I'll trust in Jesus for salvation because <laughs> I can't control that. But how I live my life, who I hang out with, what I do on my media, what I do with my money, you know, that's a different story. I don't know if I can lean back and trust God. And I want to encourage you this morning, this, through this whole series, that you can trust him. And it might take time, and it might not be easy. And we as a church, we, we don't want to, we're not going to push you over the cliff. And we're not going to say, you have, to, you have to jump, you know, go, you know. But at the same time, we're not going to hold your hand and, and say, you know, yeah, this is all there is. Isn't this great? Let's all sing. Next week, we're going to talk about why we sing. Why do we worship God? You will not be motivated to worship this God until you trust him completely and see how abundant and generous he is. That's going to motivate you. That's what's going to change your heart. So God gives us access to share with others. Um, and I, I could say a lot more about this, but uh, I will just say this. How many of you were at the I Am They concert? What a blessing that was, right? Uh, what a blessing. You know what the highlight of the, one of the highlights of that concert was? When Abby, the lead singer, got up and she shared about the child fund, the child sponsorship. I don't know if you've ever been to a Christian concert before, but almost every band that um, has charges for a ticket to get in, almost every band takes time to talk about child sponsorship. And one of the highlights of that night was when I saw, when Lori Clark came up to me and said, Jason, her son, eight, nine, eight or nine, ten years old, said, hey, mom, I want to sponsor a child. I want to do this, you know. Uh, I, I don't know if you have ever done that. You know, I, I could stand up here on some of my my soapboxes, but, you know, if I, if, I, if I had to encourage you to consider, you know, because, you, know, you know, it's not about just giving to church. We're talking about being a generous person. Um, and the, the scripture says, those who close their eyes to the poor receive many curses, that those who give to the poor will, will lack nothing, Proverbs 26. Proverbs 3 says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due uh, when it is in your power to act. The book of James says three times that if you see someone in need and you don't act, chances are you probably don't have saving faith. You know, that's, that's pretty convicting. So the Bible over and over again, and Jesus said, Jesus said that you, you, you will know that we are, the world will know we are his disciples by the love that we have. We're the kind of people that feed the hungry, who clothe the naked, who visit the people in prison, you know, who are gracious. Our character, our nature is generous. And so I, I, I don't know how we cannot look at the, thing, the, the, the pain and the suffering in this world and not act. 
If you've never sponsored a child from World Vision or Compassion International or one of those, I would encourage you to do it. Uh, we've always had one in our house, and I'll be honest with you, there's been years where we haven't communicated with them as much and kind of just like, just like a monthly donation, but other times where we have and where it's been so, you know, rewarding. I've always wanted to go visit them, but I've never been able to do it. But it seems like all those band members always be able to go visit people, but I can't, I, I've never been able to do that. I know some people in this congregation, though, have done that. We went on a mission trip to Haiti once a few years ago as a church, and we got to see Feed My Starving Children boxes get delivered to the children who are going to get it. And that, if that doesn't transform you, because you're like, oh my goodness, this is like their food for the day, for the week, for the year, and they're so happy to get it. And that's all they have. Now again, the extreme is, oh, you know, I'm going to give everything away. You know, but there's another, there's a balance. That's why we have to keep all these things in balance. Giving to the poor. Compassion International, sponsoring a child. Let me just say another thing. Urban ministry. I was asked this question by somebody a few years ago, right before I came to Long Grove. I said, they were said, what if you were given $10 million? Because this, this happened on, uh, you guys listen to Mike Greenberg, uh, Mike Green, on AM1000. This week, they made the point of saying uh, that now the richest person in the world is Elon Musk. He's got $280 billion. And so they were all debating on this sports talk show about what they would do with $280 billion. And I think Mike Greenberg said, you know, you could buy all the NFL teams, all the NBA teams, you know, and they, were, and they were all discussing what they would do. And I don't know if it was just because it's a sports show. They only could think in terms of sports, and they couldn't think of, like, what would you do in the world? I, I know about 10 or 15 years ago, they estimated that to, to get clean water and feed everybody in the world, it would take about $20 billion. And, and one pastor uh, noted that Americans spend $20 billion on ice cream each year, <laughs> you know. Like, whoa, crazy. But I was asked that question, and one of the things that, you know, this is my heart, was at the time, and still is, is that, and what would you do with all that money? I would, I would definitely use some of it to, to raise up urban youth workers to reach out to the youth in the city of Chicago. Um, uh, Deb and I sponsor an organization called Bre Breakthrough Urban Ministries, and uh, another group that we give to is called GRIP. There's, there's ministries in Chicago. Why? Because the need is so great. And there's so many people there, and the kids, the next generation need to know Jesus, need to know Christ. And, and the laborers are few. I have a good friend who um, left corporate world because uh, he, he, he decided to go full-time with Alpha. How many of you guys are familiar with Alpha, the Alpha ministry? Fantastic ministry. We've done Alpha here. I didn't know this at the time, but Alpha has full-time people that go around to churches to equip the church to run Alphas all around the world. Well, he left a, a corporate six-figure six job to go and be a missionary and, and, and to do it. And you know what? He couldn't keep it going because people wouldn't support him. It was really hard. And he would come to me and he'd tell me stories about people would, would brag about their, you know, five-star vacations and their six or four, five or six cars. And these were Christians, born-again people, Christians apparently. But they would only give him, or they give him a one-time gift. You know, one of the blessings I had a few years ago at this church was I had somebody come up to me and say, um, is it appropriate to give to missionaries regularly per month? I was like, wow, yes, it is. That's how they live, you know? Because here's what happens. We bring missionaries in who are sharing the gospel, like Kyle and Megan Winters at Ohio State University. Uh, we have uh, Drew and Christine Van Team who are in Scotland. We have uh, Julius Lawal in Nigeria. And here's what happens. We take a collection 
And you guys give. You're generous. We have it in our budget. Praise God. We have it in our budget. That you know, Some of the money that you give goes so that they can go out there. But you know what? The average missionary can't live on that. They can't. <laughs> They need individual supporters in the, in, the, in the congregation. And I was so happy that somebody, and it wasn't like they, it wasn't like they were being like weird. It was just that they had never, they didn't know that. They said, can I give? Should I give regularly? Yeah, 25 bucks a month goes a long way. 50 bucks a month goes a long way. That's their salary. You say, why should I do something like that? Because that's how we spread the gospel. That's how the church gets the word out. It's by people. It's through people. It's, it's through us. All right, that's enough on that. Let's keep moving here. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, uh, 12, to 15, 9, 12 to 15 says this. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of this, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Are you guys tracking with this? He's saying, you guys in Corinth who are giving, you're, you're making a difference for the gospel all over the world. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I put this down. Our generosity in our giving impacts others. It is a witness to the gospel. It is a witness to the gospel. Should Christians be generous tippers? Yes, we should. Have I been? No, I have not. <laughs> you know, I'll be honest with you. And you know what? Some of us tip God. That's how, we, that's how we do the tithe. And I'll be honest with you, I've struggled with that too. You know, Pastor Dell says, oh, I'm going to step on some toes. I'm going to step on my own toes too. Yeah, we're going to, yeah. Sometimes we, we approach the tithe as like, I'm going to tip God. What that means is, you know what? When things are going well, I'll give him a tip. You know, I'll give him a tip. I'll, I'll throw something in the plate. But if we were to take giving seriously, we're actually going to say, this is going to be something that's going to be planned. And you're going to say, okay, I'm going to put God first, and I'm going to seek him first. Dr. David Jeremiah tells this interesting story. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's a radio preacher, solid, solid biblical preacher. He, uh, he had a couple come to him and say, you know what, Pastor? Uh, we can't afford 10%. That's just like too much. There's no way we could ever do that, you know. And Dr. Jeremiah kind of challenged him on that a little bit and said, you know, all right, well, here, why don't you try this? Why don't you, instead of giving uh, the church uh, the check, give me a check, write out a check to the church, and I'll hold it for you at the beginning of the month, the 10%. And if at the end of the month you don't have any money in the, in, to do it, I'll, I'll rip up the check. And, and, and they said, okay, we'll do that. And as soon as he said that, he said, shame on you. Don't trust your pastor more than you trust God. <laughs> you know? He, he, he kind of roped it. I don't know if you guys could follow that, but a lot of times we feel like, you know what? If I give my first to God, you know, instead of doing the leftover thing, there's no way I'm going to have enough. It's an issue of trust. It's an issue of trust. Our generosity and our giving impacts others, and it's a witness for the gospel. Um, I hate to tell you this, but most American Christians give about 2.5%. They don't give 10%. Someone once said if we all gave 10%, that, um, that uh, we would be able to stop the homeless issue in America. Um, or we do a lot more if we use that money. But no, the average secular person, according to one statistic, gives away 1.8%. So we're at 2.5 and they're at 1.8. Is there a big difference? No. And that's sad. That's sad. We should be generous. Uh, we should be generous. And I'm not trying to guilt you into giving us your money. I would say give your money to other places. 
sponsor a child, give your money to, um, you know, to the urban, uh, urban ministries, give your money uh, to, uh, other, other, uh, to missionaries. But there also is the value of collecting it uh, once a month. In fact, uh, that, 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 that's significant. All right, let me, um, let me wrap up here. I'm going to skip some, I'm going to skip First Timothy 6 because we'll be here all day and we got trunk or treat. So, Bella, let's go down to um, uh, Matthew, Matthew 6. Actually, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 to 2. Some people say, why do we do give the offering? I don't know if you noticed that we've changed things, how we do offering here. We don't pass the plate anymore. And I like that because uh, what we're doing is we're trying to see, uh, and, but Luke always mentions, hey, this is a time to give. It's part of your worship, okay? We give because God has given so much to us. And everything we have is his, okay? And we are, his, we are stewards of it. We are managers of it. That's the biblical concept. I'm going I'm to open that up to you guys right now. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2. It says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. The early church took regular offerings. Why do we give? Because the early church did that. Why did the early church do that? Because the tithing principle in the Old Testament was that we should give our first and our best to the Lord. All right, let's look at Jesus' words and then we'll wrap up here as if Jesus' words could take five minutes. Um, Matthew 6, if you have a Bible and you like to look in your own scripture, put, turn to Matthew 6. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. According to Jesus and this passage right here, why should we give? Why should we be a generous person? Why should we serve? Why should we get involved in ministry? Why should you discover your spiritual gift? Because treasures in heaven are better than treasures on earth. And that's a spiritual truth that you and I have got a hard time swallowing, isn't it? Treasures in heaven are better than treasures on earth. You can't take any of your treasures with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can send it on, a, on ahead. Um, that's the point. He makes this point in Luke and, 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 in, and in twice. He says, if you believe in eternity, then it just makes sense. It just makes sense that you're going to send it on ahead. I have a book that's uh, free for everybody today. It's called The Treasure Principle. It's a book we did several years ago. We still have a bunch of brand new ones. I put them out on the back table. It's written by a guy named Randy Elkhorn. He's done a lot of talks about this. It's called The Treasure Principle is about how our, our, our time, our treasure, and our talents belong to the Lord and, and giving to the Lord. What, the, what does this look like? So I encourage you to pick one up on your way out. It's free. Um, but Randy Elkhorn gave this analogy. He says, it's like this. Imagine you're a northerner living in the south doing business toward the end of the Civil War. Okay? You're a northerner living in the south. In your business, you've accumulated a lot of Confederate money. You can see the south is going to lose, and that means all the Confederate money you've compiled is about to be worthless. So, that, so what should you do with it? You should immediately cash out your Confederate money for U.S. currency. Keep only enough Confederate money for short-term needs because soon it is about to be worthless. 
For us to accumulate vast earthly treasures, he says, in the face of the inevitable future is equivalent to stockpiling Confederate money. It's not just wrong, it's stupid. You can't take any of your earthly resources with you to heaven, but you can send them ahead. Financial advisors tell us we should think not only uh, 30 days ahead, but 30 years ahead. Jesus says we should think 30 million years ahead. Is that radical? It is. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where you put most of your treasure is inevitably where your heart will belong. If the majority of your treasure is here, that's where your heart will be. If it's there, that's where your heart will be. I know that's a difficult truth for us this morning, but the Bible says that when we invest in the gospel, invest in people, invest in ministry, we are not only storing treasures for us here, but we're storing treasures for us in heaven. Look at what he says. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What's he saying there? He's saying it all goes back to how you see God, eternity, and your resources right now. If your worldview is, this is all there is, we are living in a world of scarcity. And by the way, if you've grown up in a communist country, you've been trained to think that. And those of you who fear that we might become a communist country, we need to be aware that that's the oppression, that this world is scarce. And I know some of us are tempted to hold on tight and say, okay, I gotta, I gotta hoard, I gotta, you know. Now, I didn't talk at all about all the verses that talk about being wise to save. There's lots of them, okay? And uh, I sent out a question of the week today, and I, last night, I don't know if any of you got it, but I love the article. Some of us are spenders, okay? We find our significance by spending. We enjoy that. We, if we get the money, we want to spend it because we want to live in the here and now, and we want to enjoy spending, and we're just spenders. Some of us are savers. We, we want to we wanna save. We, we're, we, we, wanna, we, we limit our consumption so that we will have something in the future. Okay, all right. It's, it's funny how spenders always marry savers, isn't it? Like you always have two spouses, like one, one is the other. Okay, yeah. Kind of, kind of interesting how that works out. All right. But there's another option this morning. And that option is, is we are a steward. God calls us to be a manager, a steward. All that we have is God's. And here's the question. Do I find my, my significance and my joy and my security in God? Or do I find it in what I can buy, what I can spend, or what I'm, my security is in what I've saved, you know? When my daughter was a freshman at Mundelein High School, she, uh, her, one of her teachers made her listen to Dave Ramsey for weeks. And I was like, yes, this is gonna be great. And she came back home and she's telling us, hey, you know, you should be doing this, you should be doing this, Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey, you should be saving. Then she got a job. <laughs> And she became a spender. <laughs> and I'm like, whatever happened to the saving, you know? But I pray that my daughters and I pray that myself, that we would be stewards. That we'd recognize, yeah, we need to save. That's, that's biblical. Yeah, we need, God gave us all things to richly enjoy. It's okay. God is a God of abundance. He wants us to enjoy life. I didn't get to that point today, by the way. So that's a side note. But, but primar primarily, we're stewards. And he's calling us to the kingdom of heaven. 
Let's finish this, uh, this, this passage and then we'll wrap up. In verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Wow. Serving money will lead to all kinds of bad decisions. No one can serve two masters. That word serve is a religious word. In a way, it's worship it. It's what you worship. You depend on it for provision, security. It takes care of you, so you obey what it demands. Because if you don't obey it, it will desert you and you'll be doomed. <laughs> That's the lie we believe. But look at what he says here. He says, therefore I tell you, and this is a famous passage, and we'll close with this. And he's speaking to spenders and he's speaking to savers. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? I love that phrase, more. The secular worldview says this is all there is. Live for the now. You know, this is all there is. There is no afterlife. And what he's saying is life is more than that. But then he says this. He says, okay, these are important. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? He's talking to the savers here. He's saying, you know what? Yeah, look at the birds. They don't have to store, but God provides for them. God provides. His eye is on the sparrow. You can trust him. Then he talks to the spenders. Look at verse 28. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? So he says about the flowers, he says, you know what, God's going to clothe you. He's going to provide your needs. You don't have to have the latest fashion. But if you do, don't worry. He, he takes care of the flowers. The birds have got security. The flowers have got the fashion. I got you under control. But then he says, verse 32, for the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly father, your heavenly father what? He knows. God knows. Stop and think about that for a moment. God knows you. We had a divine moment in Edge, I felt like two weeks ago. We were looking at a healing in the Gospels, and one of the students asked the question, they said, why does Jesus seem to heal people differently in the Gospels? And I said, yeah, it seems like he does. It seems like he treats so many, some people he spits in the mud, puts it on their eyes. Some people he says this, some people he says, what do you want me to do for you? Some people he says, do you want to get, he, every person he encounters, he, he entreats them differently. Why? Because we're not clones. We're not just a random statistic. We're not just a random body or a brain. We are individual souls that God loves. Jesus said in the same passage in Luke, he said, the number of our hairs, are, uh, uh, hairs of our head are numbered. The God we serve is an individual God who knows us. And this morning, I want you to know that he knows you. He knows what you're going through. He knows your pain. He knows your struggle. He knows that you need him. And he's not your heavenly uh, judge. He's not your heavenly cop. He's not your heavenly... Uh, yeah, he's going to judge us, but what does he say here? He's our Heavenly Father. 
And so I don't know about you, but that reminds me that, you know what, I can trust him. But seek first, verse 33, your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Yeah, you know what? Jesus is like, yeah, you know what? You're going to have trouble tomorrow. But the same God that provided for you today and was faithful to you yesterday is going to provide for you tomorrow because he's your heavenly father and he knows you and he loves you. My prayer this morning is that we know the abundance and the generosity of God and that that will empower us to be the most generous people and to trust him. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you are faithful, that even when we're not faithful, you remain faithful. Lord, I pray for those of us who have struggled with this area, God, and we're struggling now. Some of us, we're savers, and we just keep hoarding, Lord, and we have a hard time trusting you. God, I ask in Jesus' name that we would take what we've been saving, Lord, and use it for your kingdom. Lord, those of us who are spenders, God, I pray that you would give us your perspective. Father, that we would spend our lives, our time, our talents on the kingdom of God and helping people come to know him, to know that they're loved and to know the gospel. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you'd have your way, that we would, that we would all be faithful stewards, Lord. And I thank you that even when we're faithless stewards, Lord, you're still faithful. You still love us and you're so patient with us. God, we want to praise you right now. Lord, great is your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.